What do we really need here in Whatcom County to solve our water crisis? It turns out, and we talked about this uh, last week on the program as well, other places have, have figured out problems like what we face here. In fact, they, they, they've figured out and come up with solutions with probably you know less water to work with um so to speak and and and, you know fewer of of the things that we are blessed with here the natural resources that we have here in whatcom county in the nooksack basin yet we continue to have a crisis here of flooding on one hand um drought or at least not enough water whether it's you know classified technically as drought or not um in in the late summertime and so what are we going to do? We, we have to protect human lives from flooding. We have to protect fish from low water. We have to keep local farming in our community. I think we all agree on these things, but what is the path to do that? We don't have to reinvent it. As we found out last week, uh, talking with Paul Simmons here on The Farming Show, Dylan Oncoop with you here on KGMI. Joining me now with the Family Farm Alliance, their executive director. He's down in California. We've had him on the program before, and he paid us a visit here earlier in the year. Dan Keppen. Um, Dan, the New York Times actually some big national coverage for a similar process in some ways that we need to follow here that happened just right over the Cascades from us in the Yakima Basin. Um, And again, that, that whole story is kind of shows us what we shouldn't do and what we should do. Welcome to the show and, and, and talk about this coverage recently in the New York Times. Yeah, well, hi, Dylan. Thanks for having me on the show. Um, yeah, so really uh, a great story. Uh, a lot of times, you know, uh, just, you know, in the West, uh, we struggle to get sort of uh, the good stories that are that are told. Right. Um, it's always a, a lot more of a negative slant. And, and so um, we were pleased to see that article because, uh, you know, Urban Eberhardt and the irrigators up there, Kittitas and the Yakima Basin are, are members of our organization. And, uh you know, we oftentimes point to the Yakima uh, and their integrated plan as, as a template for success that could be used in other places. And so that article was interesting because I think it sort of showed what, what has to happen for that to occur. And, and what it means is, you know, everybody has to, first of all, get together and, and, and develop a level of trust where they're comfortable with talking with one another. And then ultimately, usually, too, when you have complicated resource issues, it means that everybody's going to have to give something up for the benefit of the overall, you know, end solution in the community. And, and that's what they did. And I think the, the best part about that article was talking about how those relationships developed. You know, it's always tough at first, but they, they stuck with it. And, uh, and like I said, now that that, that particular uh, effort is something we point to uh, as something that can be used to, as a template for success in other parts of the West. Yeah, but places with really major issues to deal with, like the Colorado River. And uh, you're based there in the Klamath Basin in, in mm-hmm. southwest Oregon and, and northern California. You guys have been through the ringer on, on these kinds of issues as well and have some cautionary tales of what does and doesn't work. Um, that's the whole question here. What is the right process to figure out this big stuff? Natural resources, uh, farming, the future even of, of human communities, as well as protecting and restoring salmon runs and fish. It, 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 
there's so much to it. And I think we need to all start listening to each other and, and finding out, doing our research, what's going on elsewhere, rather than feeling like we're all on our own. And that's often the sense I get here locally in the Nooksack Basin. People feel like, well, we just got to kind of go with uh, what somebody else said. We don't, you know, this must be the way to go because uh, we, we've never experienced anything else. Well, if you step back, you can see other places have been through this. This isn't unique per se. That's right. And, and you know, you mentioned Colorado River Basin. Um, I've been meeting with a lot of the Colorado River Basin interests here in the last week. And I believe the, the general manager of Denver Water, with Jim Lockhead, was quoted in that article uh, where he said, well, you know, what they've done in the Yakima, uh, it, you know, it's, it would be hard to, you know, duplicate that in the, in the Colorado River watershed because you're dealing with seven states and multiple tribes yeah. in another country. Maybe he has a point there, right? But the important thing is, how did that uh, specific uh, uh, alliance develop in the Yakima Basin? And it's all about relationships. Yeah. And the article did a good job talking about that. It's the same thing that happened in the Klamath Basin where Paul Simmons, your, your earlier guest last week, um, was, you know, the general counsel for the local water users in the Klamath Basin. And, uh, you know, they sat down ultimately with uh, three other tribes, state of California, state of Oregon, the federal government. Uh, multiple conservation groups, uh, other irrigators outside of the federal project. And uh, it wasn't easy at first. It actually took a couple years to sort of um, get the trust between all the various entities. And then they sat down and, and hashed out uh, a two settlement agreements, three settlement agreements, actually, that um, would be in place today if, uh, if Congress had passed them. But there was uh, tough to get full support in the Congress. And by 2015, all the parties were, you know, they had the option to take an off-ramp um, uh, if Congress hadn't passed that thing. And that's what folks did, unfortunately. And now, you know, we're back to a situation in the Klamath Basin where uh, the water users are, are struggling every year to get water. And there's a lot of tension and a lot of litigation. Those things weren't there when everybody was working together. Yeah. So, uh, you know, the, the, the folks in Yakima Basin, fortunately, were able to take it through to the end. And, and now they've got, you know hundreds of millions of dollars coming in to do projects that uh, sort of help all the interests and uh, and they're getting great results and they have great relationships. Sadly, I, I think it's, it's those hundreds of millions of dollars that we're going to need here. Um, maybe not all at the same time, but that, that's the daunting part. And I think that's the part that's kept a lot of people feeling like, can we, especially with some of the flooding problems that we've experienced here, how, right. how, how do we ever deal with that? How, we, how would we ever pay? It just seems so... You know, the, the possible solutions for that seem so grandiose. They seem outside the realm of possibility. Yet, when you look at the recent infrastructure bill, and I know you and I have talked about this before, there is money there, yes. but that money doesn't go to people who are fighting each other in court. No. I mean, I think that the type of fix that you're looking at up there, and just based on my, you know, my, my visit up there earlier this summer, it's, you know, it's probably going to involve some sort of flight control. Uh, and, and maybe that ends up being, you know, a, a, a dam that's placed in a location uh, that that uh, or dams placed in locations that have minimal environmental impacts, but maybe ultimately provide improved uh, environmental benefits in other ways yeah. by having the ability to control flows and that sort of thing. Um, and so you're going to you're talking, you know, tens, if not hundreds of millions of dollars 
um, for a new storage project, you know, I, the locals uh, up there are not going to be able to afford that on their own. They're going to need yep. state and federal assistance. You got a way better chance of getting uh, that assistance if if uh, folks in Congress or the agencies, you know, get a, a request and it's got you know, the uh, uh, logos of whatever, 10 or 20 local organizations of diverse interests, uh, that makes their jobs easier. <laughs> yeah. So they don't have to pick and choose. So, yeah, uh, you know, as far as getting funding goes, having that, that coalition like that is huge. And the Yakima guys, that's why they have so many mil- millions and millions of dollars coming in is because they they have a, an alliance between conservation groups, tribes, irrigators and and uh, state and federal agencies dan keffin the executive director of the family farm alliance based down in northern california but doing stuff uh, with family farms across the west and across the country uh, is with us right now here on the farming show on kgmi i'm dylan hon coop with whatcom family farmers and save family farming talking about the water crisis the water management crisis not the water shortage crisis because as we know there's too much water at some times here (laughs) and not enough at others you know you you touch on the environmental benefits of doing something minimizing the environmental negatives or impacts and maximizing the benefits that's what i've been asking with this concept of of storing water um, and some kind of water retention facility, whatever you want to call it, or, or multiple, or, or using whatever strategy is workable, if you're not supporting that, why aren't you supporting the fish? I think that is, is a question that needs to be asked. I know that's exactly you know 180 degrees from the way a lot of people think about those kinds of projects. But right. I, I think the truth could be, and I, and I really do, do think it needs to be studied and looked at to, to find the facts. But the the thing that I'm seeing here is, you know, if we don't do that, it could be far more harmful for fish and their survival and the recovery of endangered species here than if we don't. Yeah. So, I mean, that's if you were to go forward with a project like that, and especially if you have federal dollars, you would have to do, you know, compliance with the National Environmental Policy Act, NEPA. And, and you're, you're required to assess all those, you know, potential stressors uh, to wildlife in particular. Um, you know, I when I first started my career out, I worked in the Portland area and we did lots of small uh, storage projects for berry farmers in the area outside of Portland and mm. uh, Hood River, that area. And, um, you know, the big concern that some conservation groups have is, uh, it relates to the fact that dams built back in the 30s, 40s, and 50s didn't have these environmental um, regulations in place. And, and and some of them were situated in places that just completely shut off um, access to historic habitat, right. especially for anadromous fish like salmon. And, um, and so... Um, you know, so of course, if you're going to, you got to, you got to assess that you got to assess, okay, if we put a a project here on on river mile X, what is that going to do as far as uh, um, eliminating uh, habitat? But also, you know, if you got a new reservoir and a dam in in place, what is that going to do during times of of, uh, low flow when you might be able to release water that benefits fish trying to migrate downstream? Yeah. And that, Uh, that is habitat too, as, as the salmon folks talk about you know not having enough water is a habitat problem they also consider it a pollution problem because then the water that is left which isn't enough gets too warm so (laughs) yeah it's 
I, I absolutely agree. That's what needs to be done. We need to look at both sides. And this is what I've been saying for a year or two now. We cannot rule out one or the other. You know, we, we can't uh, um, say, well, this is the way to go. This isn't the way to go. Let's keep everything on the table and actually get those facts before we decide yeah. to, 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 you know, dismiss something out of hand, which some people seem to want to do. Yeah. Yeah. You can't just be pre-decisional on this. So, um, I mean, and there's other benefits too. I mean, the reservoir that you have behind the new uh, embankment or the new storage project, there's going to be wetland habitat on the fringe of that. That's going to provide other types of benefits. Um, and then you got to weigh it too against, uh, say you don't do anything at all. What kind of uh, uh, damage is, is occurring to the environment when you have those huge floods yeah. that are, are, are overspilling banks and, and maybe bringing contaminants in, into the system? Uh, obviously, storage, well-designed storage, is going to going to mitigate some of that too. So you got to kind of look at it, look at all the the, the positives exactly. and the negatives, exactly. which which. You know, I, I, I think that the critics of dams point back to the fact that these dams are in place right now have been so damaging. Well, you couldn't do those dams now, uh, I don't think, with, with the current environmental laws. No, and, uh, we, and fact, we wouldn't. I mean, they, yeah. they need to include mitigation for some of these. You know, like you said, a, a dam from the 30s, 40s, 50s, whatever. You know, some, some people think a dam is a dam is a dam. Well, no, they're not the same thing now no. as they used to be. No, absolutely not. So, you know, my board president uh, is a rancher in Wyoming, and he uh, he owns uh, land right on the headwaters of the Colorado River. It's a tributary to the Yampa River, which drains to the Green River. And um, they're actually, you know, he's working with conservation groups, with bird groups and with fish groups to site storage. It's high enough up in the watershed that they know it wouldn't impact, you know, historic habitat. And they're able to capture snowmelt and, and then use that water for irrigation purposes, but also to as downstream uh, supplemental flows that benefit um, a trout. And and then plus there's benefits uh, to the wetlands that are created in the farms and the wetlands uh, around the, the lake for um, migrating waterfowl. So See, there, he's there, working with conservation yeah. groups on those projects. And, and that's what we need to be doing here. And I, I want to give some encouragement to people who recognize, and I talk with a lot of people who recognize, this is one of the biggest things that we need slash should like could do here to solve these, these issues. But so many of those people that I talk to see that, but then say, that's never going to happen. You know that they're not yeah. going to allow that. There's all these reasons why they would say no. And, you know, it, not that it's not a big hill to climb, but it is within the realm of possibility and people are doing it elsewhere and there is money for it. Yeah. Well, so in my mind, uh, things are changing. The public perception, the political perception, the new storage projects is changing. And and, and, and it's like when I was up there to see uh, all you folks in Whatcom County, I talked about this. Um, you know, the fact that uh, in, in 2015, Congress passed legislation that to fund uh, the construction of new storage projects throughout the West, primarily in California. Um, and, then, and then we also got this bipartisan infrastructure bill uh, that was signed into law last year that has two, at least two programs that you could build dams with, mm -hmm. including a brand new small storage uh, program uh, administered by the Bureau of Reclamation. Uh, you couldn't have even talked about that maybe 15 years ago. Yeah. yeah. But you know what? Uh, our organization and others have been pounding that drum long enough. And what's happening in the West with climate change and just changing climate and all the new demands on water. 
um, people are recognizing storage has to be an option to look yeah. at. You, you just if, can't, if you I, can't blow it off. If our glaciers aren't as big as they used, that, that used to be, at least up here, our, our water storage. If they, they aren't as big as they used to be, we just don't have that storage in ice and snow as much as we used to. So we've got to uh, approach it a different way. And like you said, you know, Congress has uh, put money forward for that. They're looking at that in, in California and here in Washington State. You know, we've been following the governor and the, and the director of our Department of ecology even during the drought last summer um you know the department of ecology a lot of people think well they'll be the first ones to jump up and and shut down any sort of thing that would you know amount to water storage well the reality is they it was the director laura watson the director of our our state's department of ecology who said we need to build water storage we need to build drought resiliency for the future so i've said well let's hold them to their word you know if if that's what they're calling for they recognize that's needed let's let's get it going and and i think that this large perception this kind of fatalistic uh, perception that a lot of folks have is is actually hindering some things when everyone just thinks well that's never going to happen no it could happen let's get on the same page and start calling for it yeah yeah i think you know the sooner you start the better i I do think that um political sentiment towards these sorts of projects is changing and it's going to take a long time you know uh regardless of what kind of support you have just to go through the process right yeah um and you know you just um again my old boss pat o'toole likes to say uh you know if you're not at the table you're going to end up on the menu Hmm. just you just got you constantly got to be there pushing the issue and 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 who knows something may, may happen and if you got your group together and you're just waiting for an opportunity, you're just going to have a better chance of getting something going. Uh, so I, uh, you know, I, I'm obviously a big supporter of, yeah. of, of coalitions well, and, and to get projects done. And real quick, before we run out of time, I mean, you're talking about the access to funding and support that can come from a collaborative process, people working together. The flip side of that is, and, and, you know, I've talked about this with some people I've said, Hey, you know, ultimately if you're in court, the focus is litigation. It's, it's antagonistic. Um, you aren't going to be able to get that kind of funding. And, and some people have said, well, technically, no, that's not true. I mean, you still could, but the reality is by and large, you know, practically it, it kind of really isn't going to happen if, if it's a court process that we're leading with here. Right. Well, yeah. And, and, and anytime you litigate, uh, you're involved using the courts, there's going to be winners, there's going to be losers. In a settlement, the whole idea is, you know, maybe everybody loses a little bit, but collectively everybody ends up, you know, with a win. The community ends up with a win. Yeah. And that makes a lot of sense. That's what we've got to do. It's also interesting, um, the background here, we've talked about the good that came out of of the settlement that was ultimately reached based on trust and years of work talking together between parties that had been, you know, that were diverse and had, you know, very different starting points, all realizing they had actually a lot in common and could work something out in the Yakima Basin. But the first 20, 30 years of that process is a cautionary tale of, of what we were just talking about, litigation, that didn't work. Yeah, yeah. And you got to wonder, um, 
you know, do all the parties wish that they had started down the settlement path, you know, 15 years earlier, just yeah. how much legal fees they would have saved and, and how much grief uh, they could have prevented probably just with all the battles that were going on. It's, it's a real head scratcher to me that the state <laughs> then holds this all up as a great, you know, tale of success, which the end of it was, but the beginning certainly was the opposite of success. Right. It was a, almost a fail. Well, people could say, well, it brought people to the table. Okay, great. But beyond that, you know, millions were spent on, you know, fighting in court that didn't achieve anything until people started working together. Why then is the State Department of Ecology wanting to start from that same failed starting point again here in Whatcom County? But, you know, we've been talking about that ad nauseum here on the program, <laughs> continuing to highlight that with so many different experts and perspectives and angles on this. And we just appreciate your input into what we have going on here um, and, and what you do all over uh, the country there with Family Farm Alliance. Dan Keppen, uh, Family Farm Alliance Executive Director with us on the show this morning. Dan, thanks for your time. We really appreciate you checking in. Thank you, Dylan. I enjoyed our time today. Thanks.